Parsha Themes is for inspired people like you who are looking for engaging and relevant Parsha and Moedim thoughts. Our weekly discussions focus on uplifting thoughts and actionable ideas that will upgrade your Avodah Hashem and enhance your Shabbos and Yantav table. I'm your host, Rabbi Yosef Tropper, and it's an honor to have you with me here today. Hello and welcome to Parsha Themes, the Vilna Gon on the Torah. And I'm going to do something which I hope will not confuse anybody. We're going to have Parsha's Truma and Tetzaveh. And even though these are not double parshios, and I think that a lot of people make a mistake and think that they are, um, I do not want to perpetuate that idea, but there is a lot of themes that overlap in both of them, and I think that it would be appropriate to deal with both of them together. Um, I think there's a lot of confusion. People think they're double parsha because they sound so similar, but they just kind of roll off your tongue, truma, tetzave, and also vayaka and lepakude sometimes are together, um, and they're kind of parallel to those parshios. So... The reason I'm doing that today is just because I think there's a lot of connections between them, so please bear with me. The first passing in Truma talks about um, actually collecting the money to build the Mishkan from the Jewish people. Dabra Abnei Yisrael, Hashem says in Parachaf Hei, Pasuk Beis, Speak to the Jews, v'yichudli Truma, and you will take for me Truma, me'es kol ish, from each man, asher yedvenu libo, that means each person, whose heart will give, tichu es trumasi, that's where you should take our Truma. So the Vilna and many of the other Mepharshim ask that, um, there's a couple of problems with this Pasuk. Um, one of them is, why does it keep talking about tichu es trumasi, take my truma? Um, meaning, firstly, that the yichu li truma is said in a in third person, they shall take his truma. But then it ends as tichu es trumasi, he should take the truma. Um, and so it turns into second person, it's, it gets more personalized. Why is that? And so the Vilna Gon explains that the Pasuk starts off by telling us that there's a lot of people that want to give truma. But says Hashem, I only want from the person that really, really wants to give it is close to me. So meaning there's going to be a lot of people that on the outside have a lot of different reasons. But ultimately the Siata Deshmaya as to who I will take from is going to be based on and the pr- people that you should take from are the people that are sincere and really want to give and they have a per- more of a personal connection with Hashem. I think this is just such an important lesson in life that there's many causes that we might like, but we need to question ourselves and just make sure that we're giving L'Shem Shemaim. We're giving in order to bring out the glory of Hashem, in order to continue. The Gemara Chazal tell us that he who is full of chesed is one who is connected to Hashem because our job in life is to emulate Hashem and to love the things that Hashem loves and to stay far away and, and, and hate, so to speak, the things that Hashem hates. And it doesn't usually mean other people, by the way. A lot of people love to be passionate and hate others. That's not what it's about. But it means to hate avarice and to hate sin, to hate deceit, and to only connect with good things. And so that's why the Pusik starts off that way. There's a second point here, which the Grub points out, that what does it mean, v'yichuli truma, you shall take from me the truma? It's a strange expression. Really, it should say, v'yitnuli truma. And these people that are interested in giving, they should give over the, the truma. Why does it say they should take? It's a very strange expression. And the Grub says that, no that really the only money that you have is that which you've given away. And many Mepharshim have explained this many times. A person could amass wealth and, God forbid, lose it all in a lawsuit or in bankruptcy or in a fire or theft. But the only thing that you're really taking in life is that which you've given to the poor people that you've donated for tzedakah, that which you've given to others. And so that's, there's a hint of tichu es trumasi because that is exactly the only thing that you actually own are the mitzvahs that you've given. And that's a very important thing. Uh, there's a very famous uh, Ben Ishchai that says the same parable where a father said to his son, where a father said to his son, if you have five apples and you give four away to the poor person, 
how many apples do you have? And the son thought for a minute and said, one. And the father said, no, I'm going to teach you a lesson in life. You have four. Because that's what you did a mitzvah with. The one that you have and maybe you're going to eat, eh, that's nothing. That's not yours. It's not guaranteed. But even, even if, best case scenario, you do eat it. So, okay, great. It's in your body and, you know, it runs its course. But that which you gave away to the poor people and tzedakah, that you can never give, that no one can ever take away from you. And so that ultimately you have. And that is one of the most important lessons in life, that which we give to others and share to others, is that which we really have. In Parak Chafhei, Pasuk Ches, it says, And the Grub points out a very fascinating thing, that um, he goes through a list that you have the entire Aleph base found in the in the Mishkan. And if you go through it, it's there's Arazim, Cedarwood, and Guzis, and Bias, and Devir, and Heichal, and I'm not going to go through every single one, but Chalonos, and Azoros, and Psachim, and Slaos, and Koros, and Rehitim, and Shulchan, and Toim, etc. What's the shot? So the shot is that the world is built in in the letters. We have in, in Masech HaShavos, we have in the parak called Parak Binyan. That's the first words in the Mishnahis. You have uh, the uh, young students are darshaning the words of the Torah, and they're darshaning the letters of the Torah with so much precision and so much depth. And that, or Tzaddik points out that it's specifically in that parak because all the letters of the Torah are what build us and what build the entire world. And so the Mishkan is a microcosm of the entire world. The Zohar says this, um, that the Mishkan is a microcosm of the world. And if you go through all the different items that you find in the Mishkan and all the different lessons, there's food and there's wisdom and there's all different important things in life that a person strives towards. And the Mishkan, the Zohar says, has, has everything. It's very interesting because I one time someone showed me a very fascinating thing. Sir Isaac Newton was a brilliant man, and he was always studying different sources to find kind of the what all scientists have looked for, the the answer to life's greatest mysteries. And I've heard from Arabeya many times that the answer to life's greatest mysteries are is God and spirituality and the Torah, and how lucky we are to have that. But nonetheless, he in one of his notebooks, what I saw was very fascinating, that he actually wrote about this Zohar that he found, which explained how the building of the base of Mikdash was actually a microcosm of the world. And but and he writes it it seems very deep and very profound, but he doesn't understand it. And of course, who are we to say that we are smarter than him? No, the Rebunashalam didn't necessarily create us to have bigger brains than the uh, Sir Isaac Newton or many other great people that have lived in that way, but certainly greater hearts and a greater appreciation. In fact, there was a student who was a student of Einstein and the Ruggachover. He learned under the Ruggachover and he uh, um, went to university and it seems like he went off a little bit and he um, learned, studied under Albert Einstein and they asked him who's smarter and he said there's there's no comparison. He says uh, Einstein, he said in Yiddish that means one stone. He said if Einstein is one stone then Yosef Rosen, the Ruggachover, he's two stones. He's double. Um, and there's another version of a different student, supposedly, who knew Rav Chaim Salvechik, the famous, um, famous guttel from Brisk, and also knew Einstein, and they asked him the same thing, and he said that Einstein is a brilliant, brilliant man, but he can't explain himself half as well as uh, as the Briskers can, as Rav Chaim Brisker, and uh, the ability to explain themselves is so much greater. Anyway, interesting stories, but the point is that the Mishkan itself and the Beis HaMikdash represents a microcosm of the whole world, that this is the place where we connect with God. And so therefore, it's very apropos that every single letter in the alphabet will be found in the building of the Mishkan 
because the olive bays are what Hashem created the world with, and so therefore that's that's the hint over here to the Mishkan, and the building of the Mishkan is a place for Asherah Sashkina to bring down God. Moving on to Parshas Tetzaveh, uh, there's a very famous vart from the Gra, which is why Moshe is missing from the entire Parshas Tetzaveh. Uh, there's a famous question that Moshe's name is found in every other Parsha from his existence until, uh, from, from the time he's born in Shemos until the end of the Torah. Why in Tetzaveh is the one place that he's not found at all. Um, and it's interesting, there's many of many Farshim that explain different things, but, but the Vilna Gaon's famous answer is that on Zion Adar, which is the yard site and also the birthday of Moshe, that usually falls out in the Parsha of Tetzaveh. And so it's hinting to um, Moshe's death at that at that t- this time period, and that's what his absence is. Uh, the Vilna Gaon says another shot, <coughs> which is that there are um, 101 psukim in Parshas Tetzaveh, and the simon at the end of the Parsha is Michael, which is the same gematria as 101 to remind you uh, how many psukim are in there. And the hidden uh, gematria of the word Moshe is also 101, meaning that the letter Mem, if you spell it out from Moshe, Mem Shin He, the Mem is spelled Mem Mem. So there's a hidden 40 over there for Mem. And um, the hidden of the Shin is Shin Yud Nun. So the Yud and the Nun is another 60. So that's 100. And then the hidden of the letter Hey, and this, by the way, is a whole conversation. Kubalim spell the word Hey different ways. I wouldn't say the words depending on their needs, but the Ramchal has different explanations as to depending on which Shem Hashem and depending on which things you're using. But sometimes Hey is spelled Hey Aleph, which is how it's spelled here. So it's 101 hidden. Sometimes it's spelled hey yud or other ways hey hey, but that's beyond the scope of this conversation. And so, therefore, the hidden part of Moshe is is here. And some of them, Farshim explain that the Gemara in Chagiga tells us, and Ricky Vega actually hints this as well in the Gemara there, that Eno Doma Misha Shona Pirko, the person that learns is that reviews his studies a hundred times, doesn't compare to someone who reviews a hundred and one times. And the Gemara gives a parable that if you rent something for a hundred miles or a hundred whatever of a distance, then the cost is one thing. And if you add an extra mile, then it, it could be it could be significantly more expensive because obviously the wear and tear on the, on the donkey. But the significance is that if you want to go far in life, um, that extra 100 times, um, and, and not only that, the Gemara even calls it being Ovid Hashem and the low of Ovid Hashem, that it, it's, a, it's the delineating factor between whether you love Hashem or not. And um, the... Kivega over there brings down the famous thing that Samach Mem, the evil angel, who's really the Malach Hamavis, and Sarosh Esav, according to the Yalkut Ruveni, many other uh, sources of Mazor, etc. So his gematria is 100 Samach Mem. His real name is Samach Mem Aleph but we call him Samach Mem, Sam, the poison man. And um, Samach Mem is big gematria 60 and 40, which is 100. And so until you conquer him, so to speak, he still has a grasp on the Torah. But once a person learns it 101 times, he goes to Michal, who's a Sarshal Tzadikim, a Moshe, Mikael, the recognition of who's like God, and that's the greatness of, of Moshe and, and Michal. And so that's that's a shot. This probably ties into the other Mepharshim that explain that since Moshe said in, in the next Parsha of Kisisa, Macheni Nami Sifracha, so they say this Vart that Hashem didn't want to take erase Moshe, but he pushed him off until the last possible time which uh, would be the the next year's leaning. But of course, this is a very strange shot because um, it hints to the idea that it would follow a, an order of how things were read. We don't know that it was read that way or, or that the Torah was being reviewed in that manner. So it's a very interesting explanation. But it, it could be that Moshe's missing and the Machinina and the Yalkut Ruveni has different shots on this. Maybe we'll get to it in the next part as well if it ties into something from the Grah. 
bleed at her. But um, we shall see if we come back to that at a different time. But for now, what's interesting is that the Machinina represents Moshe's demise, again, his demise, his death, and Salah Mem, so to speak, uh, having more power. Chazal tell us that Moshe was buried in Keneged Balpar in order that he would um, hold in the power of Balpar and not allow it to hurt Klai Yisrael. And so what we have in front of us is Moshe's um, lack of presence in this parsha, and um, hinting to his death and hinting to the Machenina and hinting to the idea that nonetheless, even though he's not here, he still has the 101 Michael hint that... that uh, he, he is the great warrior of, of, of God. Um, there's also another thing to keep in mind, which is that Moshe, I've always thought there's some connection between Moshe's uh, name not being an Agada as well. And once again, it's a Nivolo Malach, a Nivolo Saraf, and Hashem is the only one that's that's redeeming the Jewish people. And so too in Tetzaveh, um, there's significance in this as well, which needs to be explained, but not for now. And finally, Rav Tzadik has a shot based on uh, some other Mepharshim, that this parsha of Tetzava is the Bidde Kahuna, and it's all about Aaron a coin. And so in order to give a covet to Aaron, it only mentions Aaron. He, these are his begotten, and these are the things that he accomplished in life. And um, with his um, Oev Shalom, Rodev Shalom, and that's why this is specifically um, a parsha where Moshe's name is absent. It's in this parsha that we have the Urim Vitumim, which we know um, many great people ask questions to the Urmatum to get answers. And there's many, many fascinating pshatim here as to why what the Urmatum would answer and what it would mean. One of the things that's most fascinating is that the Urmatum um, is something that had to be interpreted. Um, and in fact, that's kind of what its name even stands for, that it's a double process of seeing what it means and then knowing how to interpret it. And the Kohen Gadol had to be a big tzaddik to be able to do that. In Parachafches Pasaglam, it mentions the Urmatumim. And one of the varts of the um, of the Vilnagon specifically is um, what exactly happened in the beginning of Shmuel when we know that um, Elia Cohen used the Urmatumim, which is a whole discussion in itself, whether Kohen Gadol was allowed to use it for personal use. Obviously, in that case, he was for whatever reason, um, or whether it was just for the king or for or for great um, important. Um, important decisions. So um, he he comes up with a word. Um, he thinks that um, Chana, he sees her davening, and he thinks that she's drunk. It says in Shmuel Aleph, Perak Aleph, Pasuk Gimel. So then she says, no, 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 lo Adoni. And the Gemara Darshan's that, no, you're, you're wrong. You're, you're accusing me falsely, and there's a mitzvah to tell someone when you're being accused falsely. And no, really, it's, so it's not Shikora. It's Kishera. I'm Kasher. You're misreading the words. And um, the Gra says that the Pshat is that that he thought that it said Shikora, that she was drunk, but really it was saying Kisara, that she was davening just like Sarah. And that's that's what was going on over here, that I am just like Sarah. I'm davening for, um, to have children. And just as another example, at the, at the end of, part of, of uh, Sefer Shoftim, it talks about Pelegish Begiba and um, the... Jewish response, and they asked the Urmatum, they didn't ask the Urmatum if they should fight, and this is this is where they went wrong, because they, they wiped out the entire Sheva Binyamin, and a terrible time for Kali Yisrael, just because of lack of leadership and because of people that just jumped the gun, which, again, the Mepharshim have all different shots about what went wrong there, but one of the uh, explanations there is that they but they asked the Urmatum, and it told them to go up, and they, the Jews went, and they fought Binyamin, and they were wiped out, they were, they were destroyed, until finally, eventually, uh, they started realizing they had done something wrong. They did tshuva, and then they were able to subdue Binyamin and almost destroy them, minus the, I think it was 600 people that were left. 
But anyway, a binyamin, and they almost, they almost killed out the whole shevet. So, but the question is that Urmatum told them to go. But the, the answer is it didn't. They never asked them whether God is this the right thing? Should we go fight our brothers because of the incident? They just asked, "We are fighting." So who's going up first? And the Urmatum answered, "Yehuda Yala. Yehuda should go up first, right?" So there are other mafarshim that say no. That that not not only did the Urmatum not say that you should fight. It, it actually was saying something else. You're asking, we're going to go fight. Should we go up? And Yehuda Yala meant Yehuda should fix itself up. Yehuda is where all these ter- some terrible things had happened. There was a Vodazara there. So let him work on himself, and then you could go fight. So again, you see that you need a tremendous amount of Siyat HaDishmaya in order to be able to use the Urmatoim. And even Ailey and, and, and many great people have read it and didn't interpret it properly. And I think... This is very dangerous territory to say, but one needs Ruch HaKodesh to interpret it properly. And, of course, there's many stories in Tanakh where it was read properly and used properly. Um, but I think that sometimes you hear what you want to hear, and that bias needs to be dealt with. So many times in life we hear about this, Arotza Litos, that bias is based on your own rutza and your own desires. And as we we pick a, a uh, landing spot where we expect things to be. I, I heard an interesting story about Chazal tells us that the... Um, that the mun fell based on if you're a tzaddik, it would fall at your doorstep. And if you were a bainan, it would fall further away. And if you were a rasha, it would fall very far away. So what's the shot? How could it be that in the midbar you have Korach? Obviously, he was a rasha, and his mun didn't fall at his doorstep. So it fell very far away. So how in the world could Korach justify that? Like, didn't he realize he was doing something wrong? And what did his followers all think? Like, what does that mean? And so I heard someone one time say a very beautiful and scary thing. Korach said... No, this is proof that I'm a tzaddik. Because Hashem even has tainas on me that why didn't I start arguing against Moshe until now? And so therefore that I'm being punished. And you'll see that once I fight against Moshe and, and put him in his place, then then you'll see that my mun will return. And people listen to that. And people bought that because we could twist anything. We have to be so intellectually honest and make sure that we have a Rebbe, like the Gemara says about Shalom HaMelech, and make sure that we are accountable to people. As long as his Rebbe was in his city, he didn't sin. Finally, the last thought is Perich Havches, Pasuk Lamed Vav, the end of Parshas. Kitzave pituche chosam kodesh Hashem. The um, Vilna Gaon says that this word pituche chosam, holy to God, so um, signed and holy to God. What does that mean? It's a Rashi Tevis for um, these are people that the Gemara in Tainus Daf Beis says that the Rebbeinu Shalom has different keys that he gives to other people, but there are keys that he never gives away to anyone. That of birth. Um, because it says, Hashem is one that gives pregnancy and birth. Of rain, because it says, Resurrection of the dead, because it says, And so everything's hinted in the Torah. So where's the hint? The hint is here, because Chosam is Hashem's signet ring, his 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 seal, and that's Ches Saf Mem, and that stands for Chaya, which is birth, and then Tichia, which is Chiyas HaMesim, and Matar. Uh, which is rain, and some people train, interchange it with mayim. And that is Kodesh Hashem, and no one else will have it. And so again, like immediately, Lokesiba Bo-Raisa, the, the, some of the brilliance of the Vilnagon is to teach us the end, to appreciate every word of Torah that's hinted there. I hope that you enjoy, and once again, Parshas Truma and Tzav are always separate, but I think that there's a lot of overlap between the two Parshas, and there's what to think about, and I hope that these Zibar Torah will inspire us to greater Avodos Hashem and Yerushalayim. Thanks for joining us. For more Torah content and to make sure you never miss an episode, don't forget to subscribe and visit us at ParshaThemes.com.